Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. Hello there. It's uh, great to be back. And today I'm really excited because I'm bringing back a guest that I spoke with uh, just about a little, I think, a year ago, just about a year ago. And um, I'm really excited to share her with you because Lisa Sugarman, who is our guest, has uh, so much going on, so much new that that partly has to do with um, what we discuss here with uh, suicides and forgiveness. And without further ado, let me just tell you a little bit about Lisa before I bring her on stage. Lisa's a mom, a parenting author, a nationally syndicated humor columnist, and a podcast host. She creates content that helps empower parents, especially moms, by giving them permission to embrace their perfectly imperfectness. God, I love that. She's also a survivor of suicide loss, losing her father at age 10. She's an advocate for suicide awareness and prevention and a member and ally of the LGBTQIA plus community. Lisa writes the syndicated opinion column, It Is What It Is, and is the author of How to Raise Perfectly Imperfect Kids and Be Okay With It, Untying Parent Anxiety and Life. It Is What It Is, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere books are sold. Lisa is also the co-host of the podcast Life Unfiltered on iTunes and iHeartRadio and a regular contributor on Healthline, Parenthood, Grown and Flown, Today's Parents, ThriveGlobal, Care.com, Little Things, and more content now. Lisa lives with her husband and two daughters just north of Boston. You can visit her online at her website, which is www.lisasugarman.com. We will have that in our transcription notes uh, with the podcast as well. Lisa Diggs Company, and she says that because we're all a work in progress. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining me. You're so welcome. That was such a lovely intro. It's just so fun to be back. We had such a great conversation last year. Absolutely. I am so glad to have you here. And um It's really very exciting to read your bio and understand all the great things that you were doing even before last year. Mm. And now that you've opened up about your dad's suicide, I, I just first have to say thank you from the bottom of my heart because you are really contributing in an area that I think is absolutely critical that we look after because suicide, I believe, is one of the biggest threats we have in our world. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And and I I have to thank you right back. I appreciate everything you just said so, so much. And and um, I'm just grateful for the friendship that you and I have grown in the past year. Um, you know, we talked quite a bit uh, before we recorded the first time. And, and then, of course, we recorded and had so many opportunities to talk since. And um, I'm especially grateful to you because my whole life really took a massive pivot um, when you and I spoke the last time, um, it's been a really, really transformative year for me. And so much of what I do now, in fact, I would say the majority of what I do now focuses ex almost exclusively on suicide prevention and awareness and mental health advocacy. And, um, and I'm, I'm just so grateful to be in that space for the, for, for the reason that you just said, it's a space that, I think requires so much of our attention and so much of our compassion. And I think the more of us that can find our way to that space, the more we'll, you know, we'll be able to help the people who are, who are struggling. And, and there are people who are struggling far more than I think anyone even realizes, even considering how open people are now, um, people are still kind of hiding in the shadows. Um, so we need to find those people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's such such a good point. And I agree with you because I, I'm hearing it everywhere I go. It doesn't matter what sort of a group I'm in. It doesn't matter whether I'm talking to business people or parents or other grandparents. Everyone has someone that they are concerned about someone that they are afraid of losing or someone they have recently lost. And, uh, you know, just as recent as last week, uh, young Aaron Carter. Uh, mm, that's of, right. I, I mean, it's just absolutely heartbreaking that that it keeps going on. My My greatest wish in life is that this becomes... Well, I'd like it to just go away. And I, I know that's kind of Pollyanna of me, but I would like it to be a so seldom thing mm. that we aren't, we aren't sort of being uh, kind of smacked upside the head every time you turn around by losing someone else. Yeah. Even when we, even when we know, but you didn't learn about that until I, your late forties, right? Well, I my mid forties. So my my dad's suicide yeah you yeah. had broken up a little bit so i think you froze right before yeah um i had a chance it's to hear what unusual. you were saying yeah but i i got the context clues i think you were talking about my dad so yeah my dad passed away when i was 10 in the summer of 1978 and it was always my understanding that he had died of a heart attack he was a very healthy guy ironically but he was a huge smoker and heart disease ran in the family so that was what I was told and I had no reason in this world to ever question it. So I clearly didn't. My dad didn't present as someone who had any kind of mental illness. There was no history of that. Um, 
no concern of that. So it was nothing that was ever on anyone's radar. And it wasn't until I was 45 when I found out just really by chance, um, just a very random conversation with a family member who had been aware that my dad had suffered from depression. And we just had this very bizarre conversation that I, I was very unprepared for because it was like, almost like she was talking about someone else. Yeah. And in having that conversation, it led me to another conversation with my mom and out of absolutely nowhere. And you and I talked about this um, yeah. at length the last time um, it, it was, and still is one of the strangest experiences of my life because I, even after that conversation, I never had any, um, never had any feeling or suspicion that my dad had taken his life or even that he he had been mentally ill. And so while I was talking to my mom, kind of chatting with her about this conversation I had with my cousin, it just came out of my mouth. And I just asked my mother kind of out of the blue sky if my dad was depressed and she said yes. And then before I even knew what I was saying, I asked if my dad had taken his life and she didn't hesitate at all and said yes. And that just, changed everything it, it really well, truly changed everything yeah absolutely and you know in a way heartbreakingly your dad died twice for you oh most definitely in fact yeah. when I when I speak about it which I do I do a ton of speaking about it um, on a lot of different mental health platforms now over the past year yeah. I do a ton of writing about it it's what my next book is about um, so it's it's very much um, kind of a part of this new narrative that yeah. I have. And he absolutely died twice for me because I, I went through that grieving process when I was 10, yeah. um, when I lost him one way and 35 years later went through the, you know, the entire process again in a very different way at a different age as a mom with two teenage daughters at the time and through a completely different lens. And so yeah. Uh, it was a very, very different experience, for sure. And, and one, one thing I, I have to reiterate, because we we talked about your mom, and, and I think your mom's incredible. <laughs> that makes two of us. Yeah, and, and you're very, very close. But I just want people to understand the amount of sacrifice it took for your mother to stuff the feelings and not worry about how she felt in her loss to make you have the best childhood childhood you could have in light of the fact that you had lost your dad mm. and i i just you know someday maybe i'll get lucky and get to meet her because i just that's <laughs> incredible well, I appreciate you saying that. And uh, I would love you to get to meet her. You would absolutely adore her. She, You'd want to pick her up and put her in your pocket. She's just, <laughs> she's just the cutest thing in the world. And she is such an incredible presence in this world and such a source of joy and positivity and support in my life and in the lives of everybody who, who knows her, even, even the, the least little bit they know that um, that she's a special one. And yeah, I, what she did was remarkable. I mean, I, oh I truly don't God, even know. Yes. I don't even know how she did it. I mean, I'm an only child, so there weren't other children in the family to, to consider. So it was me and it was my mom. And um, after a period of time, her mother, my grandmother, who was also my person at the time, 
Um, my best friend at the time was my grandmother. She came to live with us. So the, the three generations were right. together in the house. But um, my mother only spoke about, she really didn't even speak about it in, in the traditional sense. Um, when my father passed away, he was at home. He had taken his life at home. And um, we had a, a split level home and he, it was, it was planned. It was premeditated. And he, he had written a note and he had overdosed on some pills and he kind of orchestrated the whole thing so that it would appear that he was, he was staying home from work that day. He worked in Boston. We lived in a suburb of Boston. So he commuted into the city every day. He was not going into the city that day. He had had some dental surgery, was staying home, was um, going to stay up and watch the Red Sox game that was a late game. And it, it just kind of put all the pieces together in such a way that he would be sleeping downstairs watching the game on the couch and not upstairs. So there was no suspicion. It didn't seem strange. And so my mother found um, my aunts, two of my aunts, after my mother found my father, they found his note that he had left behind. They didn't read it. They just saw that it was addressed to her. They gave it to her. It was never discussed again. My mother showed my grandmother that there was a note, which of course, you know what that implication is. You know yeah. immediately that that means, you know, someone has has taken their own life. And my mother read it once, flushed it down the toilet, never wanted anything to be discoverable for me. Like didn't want me to stumble on something. So um, never spoke about it again. My grandmother just said to her, you have to do the thing that you think you need to do. This is your life. This is your family. This is your child. You have to do what you believe is right. Not one person ever brought it up, questioned her. She never spoke about it again. And I, I mean, you know, you hear the expression, someone took a bullet for someone else. And she, my mom truly took a bullet for oh me. Boy, she did. Um, yeah. And for 35 years, she walked through life, um, taking care of me, giving me the most beautiful, joyful, supported childhood, um, you know, gets me, I get emotional just thinking yeah. about it now because she's just, uh, she's a one of a kind oh. and the gratitude, like I can't even express, it's not even possible no. to express the kind of gratitude that I have. And it's funny because a lot of people, since I found out the truth about my dad's suicide and since I've become so vocal about it and I share the story so often, people ask me all the time. And I think you've even asked me, did you feel, did you feel upset? Like, were you upset yeah, yeah. that your mom didn't share that with you? Because it would have been very reasonable for me to be pissed off. Like, what do you mean you didn't tell me how I had to live yeah. not knowing this? Not a single second since no. the day I found out have I had any feeling of anger or disappointment or betrayal or any of the words that you could attach to that situation. Never once ever. Nothing but just pure gratitude that my mother oh my God, yeah. made that decision and she stuck to it because, you know, my, my dad was my person at that time. He was, yeah. you know, I spent most of my time with my mom because she was, she worked part-time and she was home, but my, my dad was the one that I went mountain climbing with and he raced cars and he was super cool and we played tennis and we went hiking. And we, so he was my buddy. Yeah. And so she knew that I had lost that person and just that loss in and of itself was such a shattering loss that she just didn't want to layer anything else. Like now you layer a suicide on top. Like now he chose to yeah. leave. So that, that was just a whole, a whole level that she didn't think 
I needed to have at that point. And then it just became an issue of like, now you're a teenager, now you're going to high school. And and, and then there was always like a reason why. Now you're getting married. Now, why do you even need to know? So here we are. But traditionally, when children lose parents early, not even suicide, even in divorce, the child feels responsible. And your mother obviously intrinsically knew that she was not going to allow you to carry that burden. Yeah. Which, which is, again, it is so selfless and, and so, you know, people talk about unconditional love. Well, there's a prime example. Oh, it's, it's one of the best examples I've ever seen in my yeah. life. And, yeah. you know, you know, our job as parents is obviously to to protect and to provide and to nurture and to teach resilience you know but at that point in time in my that you know my life cycle I was 10 years old and Mm -hmm. my dad was everything to me and to wake up one morning and, and have him be gone was it's just like the word devastating doesn't even doesn't even sound appropriate it's like whatever comes beyond shattered or devastating it's it's life-changing and it's you know and, and she was you know you, you think about you think about your life as a parent and how you most of us put our children first to some degree most yeah. degrees I know I do yeah and you think about that selflessness and you you forget like wait a minute like she was she was a grieving widow yeah also like she lost yeah. her partner she lost her, her spouse, her best friend, the father of her child, she, I mean, yeah. her provider. She, I mean, you, the list is, is so long. Oh my God. Yeah. And she just, um, she just stayed the course that she felt was the best course. My mom has always had these incredible instincts. She always, I laugh whenever she says she was so naive when she was young. She always thinks of herself as super naive. Um, but she wasn't. She had these incredible, incredible instincts. And that was the first one that was just right on the yeah. money. And the next one was very close after that. It was um, at our at my father's funeral. And I don't know if you and I talked about this or not when we talked we didn't last really. year. So so I'm I'm Jewish. That's our I've been raised Jewish. We're raising our children Jewish. And so my father had a very traditional Jewish funeral and we sat shiva which is our morning shiva, period. Yeah. yep sat shiva. that was back in the day when you sat for seven days and yes then, you know all the mirrors were covered and it was like the yeah. whole experience so we went to the funeral home and in the jewish religion there is no such thing as an open casket no it's just not it's not a thing that happens if you're jewish the casket is closed obviously um, there are a lot of other similarities with the services, but that's one thing that does not happen. So because I never got a chance to formally say goodbye yeah. to my dad, yeah. my mom, so my mom was barely 40 years old. And it's like she says, super naive. She said to the rabbi, listen, I don't ever want my daughter to think that somehow her father is going to come back. Somehow he's out in the world. Somehow maybe this this wasn't the truth. You know, I I, I mean, ironically, it wasn't the truth, but, but yeah. the fact that he was gone was yeah. the truth. And she said he need, she needs to see him. 
and they were all everyone the funeral director everyone wow. was all you know that that's not really that's not done and they really tried to discourage her from doing that because she's 10 years old how will that be and for her in the future and she said nope i know my child i know what she needs this is what's happening make it happen and before the service I'll, i mean it's so wow. many things that you, you you know moments in your life you'll never forget and that's a moment i will never forget he was wearing yeah. a green suit and i had written all of these notes on a little pad of paper to god telling god to take care of him and i went in and i got to spend time with him before the service and it was against everybody else's instincts but my mom just made it happen and i am forever grateful for that moment because it just gave me that closure it gave me not i don't even like the word closure it just it gave me that moment that moment of peace right exactly that moment of knowing like i know i know this is happening i know this is real i know he's not his physicalness is not here anymore and i got to say the things that in that in that experience that i wanted to say yeah. at that time and yeah. so yeah so she's always just been like way ahead of her time I feel like, and she's super great on social media. She has her own Facebook page and Instagram account. She's just, she's just so funny. That's so cool. <laughs> that is so cool. And, and that is, oh my God, that is so deep that she understood that. Yeah. Like, had she lost anyone? Oh yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. Sure. My mother had lost her father, had lost her father-in-law but both okay. my I never knew either of my grandfathers okay. um she had lost um a nephew to suicide um my cousin who was about nine or ten years older he was 18 and I was probably eight or nine because my dad was still alive and he died by suicide probably I think it was 1976 or 77 so it was right before my dad passed away yeah so that yeah um unfortunately she had had an awful lot of experience losing people who are close to her so because that's such a it's such a an important and intrinsic moment because as you know we spoke about my my loss of my friend sure. andrea was jewish yeah and in in uh, I don't know if they were more orthodox, but she had to be buried within 24 hours. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, that's fairly common. It's, it's still common yeah. and you, you know, you can't be buried on the Sabbath and there are, there are certain, there are certain traditions that that's still very much exist in the mainstream. Yeah. And, like and it was, it was so odd because four of the five friends were Catholic hmm. and, and, as a Catholic, first of all, the, the funeral was on Sunday. So for us, it was confusing. Yeah, I'm sure. There was no open casket. So that was even more confusing. Yeah. And it meant I never got that peace. Mm. It was always the thought, well, you know, maybe yeah. it's just not true. Maybe it's just not true. You have that when when you don't have that. Yeah, I hate to use the word closure, but when you don't have that that sort of final goodbye. Because mm. in 2010, when when I lost my best friend, um, in 
when when someone um, dies in hospice or at home, someone must identify the body at the funeral home. Mm-hmm. And rather than her husband, who was in no condition, I, I identified my best friend. Mm-hmm. So I got that moment with her to, to really know and understand. Yeah, it's a powerful she, moment. It, it really is. It really is. Yeah, we've we've actually had so many experiences now that now that we're talking about it and I'm thinking more about it. Now, you know, not only did I get to see my father, who was the first person who was ever that close to me, who mm-hmm. I ever saw like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I had seen family members who maybe were in the hospital who were sick, but um, I had never seen anyone after they had passed. Yes. And after that point, I, I mean, I've, unfortunately, I guess I've accumulated an awful lot of those memories. I mean, yeah, me I, my, I was with my grandmother, my mother's mother, my best friend. I was with her when she passed away. We were all, you know, we surrounded her. I was with both of my uncles. I was with my aunt before she passed. I mean, so many different, you know, immediate family members. Yeah. Um, I've had that experience and it's a powerful and very actually beautiful experience because you have that that knowledge that you know that they're not alone and you yeah. know on some level they know they're not alone and they're with the people who are the most important people in their life and that's a gift to to yeah. be there to um to allow them to take that next step yeah. um is a gift yeah, we, we have had the same losses, but not in the same way. My mother was very sudden. Um, some of us were there or right after, my grandmother as well. And last year, my sister, we were there because we had to let her go. Yeah. But, you know, there was no, she she was not really present with us at that time. So, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, the cycle of, of life continues. And, and as we age, and I'm a lot older than you, we do lose more and more people. Mm-hmm. It's just a fact of life. It's just really hard when they're taken from us mm-hmm. yeah. in a way that we can't internally reconcile. And And we talked about this, very briefly in one of our conversations, but my, my would have been my aunt, my dad's sister died when I was seven or eight and uh, did not know at the time that basically she had taken her own life. I do. We did talk about this. I remember. It was at home in Scotland. So, you know, didn't really know an awful lot about it probably till about 10 years ago. And, And my dad started talking about that the difficulties that she had had and different things, because as you say, we, we are in a very different place in life now. Mm. Millennials and Gen Z, I have to tip my hat because they are demanding that we open up about mental health. Mm-hmm. And we should be. And, and they're blazing that they're blazing that trail. That's why, and you and I were talking about this, before we started recording, that's one of the reasons why I decided after, oh God, probably 30 something years, 35 years, 
um, I decided to go back into therapy for the first time since yeah. I was in my very, very early 20s. I was seeing a psychologist when I was in my 20s because I had you know, taken a gap year. It wasn't even called a gap year at that time, but I had no. taken a gap year from school and from college and was just very uncertain about what I wanted to do with my life. And all my friends were kind of moving on and I, I just wasn't sure enough of a direction to take, you know, to... to take a, a chance on something. So I, I tried to reconcile with all of that and it was very helpful. And then I just never really felt that I, I needed to be in that environment again for a very long time. And it was, um, it was once I really started talking about it um, with people close to me, this was before you and I even connected last year, yeah. been talking about it for the last several years with people who I'm comfortable with, with friends and family. I stopped yeah. saying my father had a heart attack. I started saying, I started slowly. I started telling mm -hmm. the truth and saying, yeah. my dad didn't have a heart attack. My dad took his life. And if people had questions, I answered questions very freely. And the more I chatted with people, the more people wanted to chat. And the more I started hearing how our conversations were impacting other people in positive yeah. ways. And it was just this, this ripple effect, the more I did, the more I wanted to do, the more it influenced other people in positive ways. And so I started writing about it and pivoted kind of everything. And the more I started talking about it with other people, the more I realized I, I wanna talk about, I wanna talk about it with someone who can help me yes. kind of dig through my my own experiences and my own memories and like you said the two distinctly different ways yeah. that my father died i lost my dad twice yeah he died he died for me twice i grieved him yeah. twice once at yeah. the very beginning of my life and once as a as a you know a, an adult and a mom and a wife and yeah um and it's very different and and it, it's been such an incredible gift to be able to go and sit down with someone who doesn't know me who doesn't know my history and my yeah. past and and just kind of lay all those things out and and together we're just really unearthing a lot of really in, incredible connections that i'm making with yeah. my father and with how his death impacted me and my personality and the way that I move around in the world and the way that yeah. I interact with people. And, and um, we're, we're touching on things like codependency. I know that I always want to make sure everybody around me is okay. Yeah. Well, now yeah. I understand why. So, I, I mean, it's like, it, it has been probably the one of the best gifts that I've given to myself wow. in, in my adult life for right. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important on a variety of levels. Um, as, as you know, I did not go that route. Uh, I think it's also, we come from different places. And for whatever reason, some people, are, I was always one to fight my own battles and, and, it was it was in a weird way. I was always trying to protect my parents. Hmm. I get that from me. And and um, we came to Canada with my my mom, my dad, my grandmother, and my aunt. My father brought them rather than bringing our furnishings because that was the family unit. 
Mm. And he didn't want to leave them in Scotland. I love that. Yeah. And my aunt, uh, she had rheumatic fever as a child. Uh, found out later, so did I. And she ended up oh. with mitral valve disease and was um, the first person to open heart surgery here in Ottawa. Oh, really? She had breast cancer and was badly burned by radiation. And she went through a lot of things that meant, even though we lived five hours away for, for the whole time of my elementary school, we, at the drop of a hat, had to jump in the car and drive back to Ottawa from Toronto. Mm. And that, you know, through, through dealing with my spiritual mentor, I understood that, yes, I, I never wanted to pile on what my parents were already dealing with. Because for one, we grew up really poor and they did the best they could with, with what they had. We didn't, us two kids didn't know that we were poor. (laughs) We we had everything we needed and and we had a a fabulous childhood, except for when the phone rang. And it became this, I always had to make sure that I didn't impose on anyone because we were waiting because if the phone rang it, it meant usually my aunt had had a heart attack or, or whatever we were heading we were heading back to Ottawa yeah and yeah. you know it continued when, when we came back to Ottawa because Friday nights I would always rush through my chores fingers crossed that I could get out of the house before that phone rang before the phone rang <laughs> yeah so that's that's traumatic you know that's that yeah yeah is a trauma and you know I, I never really I never really in the beginning when I I learned that my dad had taken his life I guess you know it's so funny how we miss the obvious things we miss the things that appear to be so obvious like I didn't think of myself as a trauma survivor yeah like at all. I just, I don't know why. If I had heard anyone else say that to me, I would have said, wow, you're a trauma. That's a trauma. You're a survivor. And and it wasn't until, I think that's probably what really motivated me the most to find a therapist again. Because once I realized that I had been, you know, that I I obviously, I knew I was a a survivor of suicide loss, Mm. but that that is, a, such a, a deep form of trauma that I really just wanted to explore that and understand that and understand how it kind of shaped and influenced me in my life and, and my personality and the decisions that I make and the relationships that I have and the goals that I set. And just, I, I just wanted to really sift through it all and have a better understanding or even a different understanding just because you go to therapy doesn't necessarily mean like here here you go here are all the answers <laughs> yeah, okay, we're done. all set yeah. That's, like it's, it doesn't work that way it's no. it's such a process it's you know i say work in progress a lot and that's um that's kind of a way that i've always defined myself and the work that i do like we're a work in progress and therapy is just a great example of that oh, but yeah. Feel like it just kind of gets you closer and closer to the essence of who you really are. And understanding you, absolutely. Right. right. You know, the reason I do the podcast is because, well, I fit both categories. I am a survivor of losing someone to suicide and, and mm. I'm also a, a survivor of suicidal ideation. And, and yeah. 
oftentimes coming very, very close. All through that, it wasn't until a few, probably about 10 years ago, somebody used the term PTSD. Mm. And I said, what are you thought? Don't be silly. I've never been in the military. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for the military anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was it. And they said, Oh, this has nothing to do with the military. You can't tell me you don't know that you, you're a trauma survivor. It's like, what? And it really took me a while to sort of process it. Because like you, I had never looked at what had happened in my life as mm. as trauma. Per se, it was just you know this is my life. You just dust yourself off and get on with it, right? Well, it's so much easier, I think, to to view something objectively when it's not your life and it's maybe yeah. not your family or um, you know someone that close to you. You've got that objectivity, and that allows you to have yeah. kind of a different frame of reference when you're yeah. looking at it. So it's easy to be like, oh no, no, that's that's definitely yeah. happening to that person, but you, we, you know, we, it's the whole physician heal thyself. Absolutely. That Absolutely. never happens. And, it and, happens. you know, I, I joke about that. People always say you put the mask on yourself first before you help anybody else. Yeah. Well, for someone who's a helper, that never made sense to me. Yeah. It was always like, oh, that's crazy. And a few years ago, it was like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Like, yeah, well, we, we talk about that a, a lot. So my um, my co-host on uh, our, our podcast, yeah. Life Unfiltered, Deb Gansenberg, is she's also the contributor to my, my last book, The How to Raise Perfectly Imperfect Kids. And one of the things that we talk about on the air and we talk about it in the book a ton is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's that image of, you know, putting that oxygen mask on because the idea is you are absolutely no good to anybody else around you, yeah. least of all your children, you know, if you're not okay yourself. Yeah. So you, you do have to, you know, kind of preserve your own health and wellness if you're gonna have any shot of taking care of anybody else. So I that resonates with me so much because we say it all the time. Oh my God, yeah. And it, it's funny now how, you know, when you finally get something, it, it's right here and you think, oh yeah. God, how did I miss that? Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of that. I've had a lot yeah. of that in the past year. And, and uh, you know, those revelations are, are powerful things and, and they move you in such different directions. It's funny, um, at some point after you and I talked the first time last year, I started talking more and more and more with with other people about my dad's suicide and about mental illness and kind of really started paying a lot of attention to how I was feeling about um, suicide loss and being a survivor, all, all those those things. I was unpacking all of it. Um, I read a statistic. You know, my father went apparently to therapy the last couple of months of his life. Oh, wow. So he, he probably only went, and my mother was aware of that, but my my dad either didn't find the right therapist or it was too little yeah. too late or whatever the case was, it, it was it was not effective enough to help him. Had he gone sooner, had he actually shared with my mom what was really going on, yeah. she didn't know. Um, I saw the statistic and it really kind of changed the trajectory of my life almost as much as being on your podcast did. And it was, 
someone who is struggling with mental illness and who is suicidal, there's a 40% less of a chance that that person will act on those suicidal ideations if they have one single human being that they can connect with. That reduces their risk of suicide by 40%. And that, honestly, Elaine, it blew my mind. And I, I couldn't let go of that. It was just so impactful to me that it, it really put me on a completely different path. I started you know, doing research and trying to understand um, you know, why that is and, and ways that, that we can get involved and we can help. And because of that, I got involved with uh, an organization. It's a nonprofit organization here in the States and we just migrated to Mexico. It's called um, The Trevor Project. Oh, yes. And um, The Trevor Project is um, the world's largest safe space um, crisis lifeline and texting line for LGBTQ youth in crisis ages 13 to 24. So I got very involved with them and ended up getting certified through them um, all of last winter and last spring to be a crisis counselor. And so I've been um, a crisis counselor with them now all through the summer and into the fall. And it's 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 changed my life, and and you know what? If if it takes one person to reduce someone's um, someone's crisis by forty percent, then you think about what an army of people yeah. can do. And you know, we we all um, you know we all have the capacity. To, to do different things to help different people in different ways. And, and this just happened to be the way that resonated with me. Just for me, the Trevor Project was just such an incredible intersection of things that were so important to me. It's yeah. suicide prevention, awareness, it's counseling, it's um, mental health advocacy, it's the LGBTQ community. I have a daughter who's bisexual. I came out as pansexual about a year and a half ago. Yeah. So it, there were all of these um, these pieces that fit together for me in this way, but um, it's been life-changing. It really has. Um, it really has. Uh, and it, it's an incredible purpose. And, and there's a, there's, there's more of a lightness to you this year later. Like I've seen the that. change over the year. It's really been incredible. And, and it's as you, find out more about you and, and things around you, it seems to be just in, it invigorating you more often, like more. And, mm. and just not to get too woo-woo on you, but like your I like woo-woo. Good. Well, your aura is just brighter and lighter and, and, Thank and more, which, which I think is incredible. And, and from the bottom of my heart, it's like, well, oh my God, thank you so much. Because it takes someone special to do crisis counseling. I don't think I have it within me because I'm too empathetic and still have too much of my own baggage to, to do it without you know, perhaps imploding. Yeah. And understanding that is probably a good thing. You know, there are other things that, that I will definitely do and can do. But the people on the front lines like you for crisis counseling, 
in this day and age, you know, things things are are not great in our world. There's a lot of ugly is the term I'll use um, all around us. And in any way that we can mitigate it, I think it, it's crucial and critical that each of us do whatever we can. Yeah, I, 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 that means a lot to me. I really, I really truly appreciate you saying that and you noticing that. I, I definitely have been feeling that for a while now. Um, you know, you, you find these places and spaces and communities as we move through life that, that resonate with us and, you know, that we're drawn to and that we care about. And I, I, I have to say, honestly, like I've, you know, I've worked in the school system. I've been a teacher. Um, I've been a writer my whole life, um, creating content that I know has, uh, has had, um, you know, a great impact on, on a lot of people because I get, I get feedback regularly, which is amazing. And I'm so grateful for that. But this is something completely different. And, and I, I just had this conversation with my husband, Dave, the other day. Um, I think I was in the middle of a crisis um, lifeline shift. And I, you know, when you're kind of, you, sometimes there's a, a pause in between calls when they come in to the yeah. system. So I was just sitting and I was just texting him. He was downstairs in the other room and I was texting him like, thank you for supporting this and for letting me do this. And we share an office space. So I kick him out, you know, whenever I have a shift and he goes downstairs. But, it, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know that I have found this kind of purpose in anything that I've ever done in my life, you know, short of being a mom, which clearly like, that's a, a whole different level. But in terms of like what I'm giving out to the world, it's like all I ever wanted, honestly, Elaine, all I ever wanted, and I've realized this so much more as I've gotten older, I just want to be of service. I don't always know what that means, but I just know because I'm also an empath and I've always been a highly sensitive person. And that was the thing that my, my, my mom, my oh, husband, yeah. my daughters were like, wait a second, you cry at like a really sad car commercial. Like you, like you're the kind of person who, like if a puppy walks down the street, you're, you know, you're worried it doesn't have an owner. So they were worried that this was really going to have an impact on me. And even that my therapist was like, you know, this is, this is going to be a lot. And it's the strangest thing. And this is how I know that I'm in the right place doing the right thing. It's the strangest thing. It's like my brain just kind of compartmentalizes when I'm contact. Um, uh, it's like a, a just a different version of me. And I have this ability to, I guess, navigate that and then, kind of put up a boundary when I need to and and not let it impact me um, too deeply. So I'm pretty grateful for that, or at least deeply enough that it is paralyzing because it could be, it can be, and someday it may be. Yeah. But so far, but, so good. No, I, I totally love that. And and I think when we, we find our true purpose mm. and, and we live into it and, and living in service like that, it, you light up when you yeah. talk because this this is you have have found the core of of who you are mm -hmm. and, and another thing i have to say is like one mom to that your girls must be so proud i appreciate that um they really they really they really are um you know 
for me to have kind of made this shift and they saw me studying, there was so much material to learn modules and you have to keep passing modules and to be able to progress and role plays. And, you know, I mean, just so many moving parts associated with this. And I hadn't done anything like that since grad school. So it had been decades since I really used that part of my brain. And they saw me studying every single night for months and months and months. And, um, you know, we're always so supportive and so encouraging. And, um, you know, every time they know I I have a shift, you know, we're here if you need us, if you want to talk about it. Um, How is, how are the phone lines today? And um, yeah, it's, um, it's been beautiful. Everybody who's been close to me has been just so supportive of all of it. And uh, it just, it feels so good to be in the right space. And, and I think that, um, you know, there's kind of an underlying message that I that I take from from my own little journey that maybe yeah. someone listening to our conversation right now can yeah. take. I never, I never a year ago would have ever, ever thought that my life and career and work would ever have pivoted to mm-hmm. where it is right now. But I stayed open. I stayed open to the signs that I was being given. I'm a big believer in kind of watching the world around me and and um taking kind of signals you know listening and yeah and and you know i kind of saw a path found a path and decided to walk on it for a while and it's brought me to a place that has has given me more purpose and made me feel more valuable uh, than I think I, I ever have. I mean, I, I get the same feeling. The only the only time I ever really got this feeling of just true joyfulness was when I write, when I write books or when I'm creating yeah. content. And and now this is something different that's giving me an even deeper feeling like that. So I am um, I'm pretty I'm pretty grateful to be where I am right now. Oh that it's it's totally incredible and it's so it was so good because I kept thinking, I need to talk to Lisa. I need to talk to Lisa. I want to see, you know, where else she's going because, you know, we've seen over the year how how you've transformed and what you're doing. And I, I just have to say such a thank you because the minute I asked you, you were like, oh, yeah, let's, let's do it. Like, oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I like I said before. Um, and I do really, I, I truly mean it. I, I credit our first conversation with, you know, you reached out to me, you know, I made a post yeah. that was one of the first posts that I had ever made publicly about my dad's suicide and all the way from Canada, you saw it and reached out to me and asked if I'd be willing to have a conversation. And um, that, that one moment changed the trajectory of my life. And so um, I'm I'm pretty indebted to you for that. So I'm I'm blowing you lots of kisses for well, that. Thank because, you. Uh, um, it's, it, it's a mutual love fest here. But I have to say, <laughs> I have a habit of saying to the universe, "Okay, what do I need? What do I need to do now? Mm-hmm. Who do I need to talk to?" And and you know, we weren't we weren't friends. Uh, on we didn't know each I other. I didn't know you from anybody and uh this this just popped up and it it was basically right after i had had done i do little mindful meditations and Mm. and that was my thing was okay so 
what do I do now? Who is it that I'm going to talk to? Mm. And then there you were. And it's like, oh, wow. And, and I have to say how, how lovely it was, because I wasn't even sure, but lovely American journalist who's done all kinds of things. Somebody <laughs> reaches out from Canada that she has no idea who she is and says, okay, I'd like you to talk about suicide. That's not what you hear every day. No, but you know what? Sometimes the most unexpected things in the world are the ones that um, that give you the greatest joy and purpose. Well, the fact is, I, I think, you know, if we touch one person and give somebody that, that 40% additional mm-hmm. chance, that's incredible. The mm-hmm. fact that, exactly. that you came on, on the show and you found it useful it's such a gift to me mm-hmm. that that like you with counseling, I know I'm doing what I need to do mm-hmm. because I I floundered for a long time about well, you know, what do I do with what I've been given in this life? Yeah. Yeah. And and it really is such deep, it's not even satisfaction. It's a, a, I don't know, it's this deep inner knowing. Mm-hmm. That that this is right. Yeah, I get it. I really get it. Yeah. I feel it every day. Yeah, yeah. The serving is right, and because I I love what I do. I mean, I wear another hat, and I'm a digital integration specialist, which is really technical and has nothing to do with you know the the real humanness. Mm. If if anything doesn't have to do with human, it's that job, mm. but it. This gives me exactly what I need. I'm each so glad. Day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're definitely doing the thing you were meant to do. Well, thank you very much for that. And um, I'm I'm going to uh, say thank you very much once again. I know this will not be our last conversation. Oh, absolutely not. No, and, and on the show. I sorry, I didn't mean last conversation because it definitely won't be. No, but I know exactly your last conversation on the show either. No, I hope not. That's what I That's, I knew well, exactly what you meant. Absolutely not. And in the transcriptions, you'll not only uh, be able to get Lisa's links and where you can find her, but the links to the Trevor Project and all of the pieces uh, that can show you where to go needing help. As we do on the website, we have links for many countries so that you can get in touch with someone you can reach out text call there's always someone there in the worst moments just go outside your house your apartment whatever and reach out to another human being yeah somebody will listen you just have to reach out and i think that that's critical for people to know yeah i agree Thank you, Lisa, so much. Lisa Sugarman has been my return guest. Um, I hope you you got as much from this as I did, for sure. And I look forward to seeing Lisa again. If you have questions or you have any uh, concerns or you want to suggest yourself or someone else to come on the show, please be sure and just tick the boxes at the bottom of the information sheets on the podcast. We will look forward to seeing you next time. So thank you again. My pleasure.
We will see you again. In the meantime, I just say, please make the very most of your today every day. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.